Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. I just want to, you know, take the opportunity to thank God for my wife and honor her because, honestly, uh, if she wasn't as crazy as me, this would be a lot more difficult. (laughs) So thank you. And like JJ said, we got three little boys under the age of five, uh, Jeremiah, Judah, and Jonah. Um, You know, we were youth pastors in my father's church uh, when I was one year old, like the, the age of my son Jonah now. My father started a church in Houston, Texas. And uh, so church people were like my family. That's all I've ever known. Uh, it was the most difficult thing we've ever had to do. Uh, literally sold everything we had, um, our house in the gated community, big backyard, which we loved. It was a miracle to get it. And then for me to sell it, people were like, you're so crazy. What are you doing? At least, you know, try to make a little bit of money month to month. You can rent it out. And I'm like, no, I just, I feel like we got to sell everything, which we did because we don't have a job yet. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I, I'm used to doing crazy things like that. I believe that uh, once you encounter Jesus Christ, there's nothing sweeter. Uh, there's nothing better than the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, even uh, prior years before we sold our house, and back in 2002, I was playing college football at the University of Houston. Uh, at the time, I was a redshirt freshman. I had come back from Texas Tech. I got into trouble up there. I never got to play football up there at Texas Tech, so the coaches still wanted me to play. Uh, It was all God's sovereign plan to bring me back home. God knows I didn't want to come back home. I was trying to run away from rules. Remember, my father was a pastor. I was trying to get away from rules. Uh, And whenever I encountered the Lord, I remember that weekend, I I was like, Father, you know, I, I want to start learning about God. I really want to take this seriously, but I can't do football and go to Bible school. And he was like, you're, at, you know, you're old now. you got to make your own decision. Uh, that same week, I remember turning in my practice uniform to my coach. And my coach told me these words. Well, Aaron, you know, we, we recruited you. We, we wanted you. Even when you went to another university, things didn't work out. And somehow we got you here. You didn't even have to try out. We, we definitely want you. And now you're giving me your uniform. I'm like, coach, I'm sorry. I know you might not understand, but I have to. And he told me these words. Aaron? Whatever floats your boat. You see, what that means is whatever makes you happy, whatever satisfies you, whatever you want to do. Isn't that what this world kind of lives by? The whole YOLO, you only live once, do whatever you want. Uh, Follow your heart, which is a big mistake because the Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand your heart? You see, but what happens when your boat don't float? What happens when whatever makes you happy at the end doesn't satisfy your life? And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. If you allow me, I'm going to go pretty quick. Uh, Let's look at Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, and it says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of, I I added this to you guys, just in case you're like me, where it's hard to pronounce some words, you know, especially they're kind of long and weird. Uh, Gennesaret. And he saw two boats, this is important, I want you to remember, by the lake. 
But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, later on his name is Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. He uses his boat to preach. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. Let's go a little bit deeper. And let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. What happens when your boat don't float? But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. I believe uh, the Bible's intentional. And, and at first, when I read through this, you, you know, if you read too fast, you skip through some stuff. And, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was just kind of keeping me where it said he saw two boats. You see, I, I believe it's important, and God wants to tell us today, that there was two boats and Jesus chose one of them. This leads me to my first point, that Jesus chose your boat. You see, maybe this is not really important to you unless you've dealt with some rejection in your life. You know, until you've known what it's like to not be chosen, being chosen is not that important to you. How many remember uh, I'm in the, uh, currently in the process of getting my master's and I'm writing papers like crazy. I just want to quit already. Uh, I'm more than halfway done, so I can't quit. Uh, but one of the most important papers I ever wrote in, in junior high was this, uh, some, somebody might be able to relate with me, was a paper that I wrote Will you go out with me, circle yes or no? Like that was the most terrifying paper I ever had to write, right? I, I don't know if you've ever dealt with some rejection, and, you know, and getting back that note and it's circled no, I never dealt with that. I got the maybe, which was a nice way of saying no, basically. I don't know if you ever dealt with trying to, you know, try out for a sports team and you just don't make the cut. I don't know if you've ever dealt with, you know, trying to apply to your favorite university, and some people just apply to one, you know, they put all their eggs in one basket only to be rejected, or, or possibly you're interviewing for different jobs like I'm currently doing, and you're just getting rejected once after another, or possibly you signed up for that mortgage and you don't get that loan to get that dream home, or maybe the person that you wish you want to marry doesn't want you back. I don't know if you've ever dealt with rejection, but let me tell you, there's one that chooses you, and his name is Jesus. And the beautiful thing about this, go ahead, you can give it up for Jesus, amen? He chooses us regardless of ourselves, regardless of who you are. Simon, he was a little hot-tempered, he was too emotional, he was a little hood. When they came to arrest Jesus, uh, and, and, and while he was praying, they came to arrest Jesus. He pulled out his knife and cut a soldier's ear off like he was, he was ghetto like that. He was too emotional. Like imagine if Jesus, the person you've been following for three years of your life, all of a sudden turns around and says, you know what? Just be quiet. Get behind me, Satan, and just forget about everything you just said. Because he was trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Like if you get called out by your, your, your teacher, your, your master uh, as Satan, like you know you're pretty, pretty much messed up. He was not the best qualified. To be a fisherman, basically, it meant, in the Jewish tradition, meant you weren't good enough to be a rabbi or to be taught by one. And to be a fisherman, it basically meant you have to be uh, following your father's footsteps. It's like, you know, a side job, like something you just don't want to end up doing. However, Jesus chose him. Just like Jesus chose you. And you might wonder, well, why is God choosing me? What's important about that? J.J. mentioned last week, he said, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in your mother's womb, the Bible says, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. What does it mean to be sanctified? It's to be set apart. Set apart for what? What don't you want to know? 
I'm excited to see some of our new Dream Teamers today. They finished uh, four steps of our Next Steps program. Amen. And in one of those steps, I, I enjoyed to read and just see their facial expressions, being able to talk to them, uh, where they get to discover their gifts and talents. They get to learn about their personality, which is important not only for them and who their, you know, their family, their friends, and, and, and uh, their, their spouses is really important. I learned a lot when I did it with my wife. But just getting to see them uh, discover their purposes. And now this Sunday, they're serving. And they're getting to now develop what God has called them to do. There's people here that possibly have been going through the worst of the worst. Maybe you're like, Aaron, I, I, I get it. I know you're saying Jesus chose you, but I feel like the other boat that Jesus left uh, on the shoreline. I, I don't feel like I've been chosen. I feel like I've gone through so many difficult things in my life. Let me tell you. All things happen for good. Amen. Romans 8 tells us that God works together everything that's going on in your life for good. There's something, uh, I went to the beach the other day and there's a bunch of little clams I was finding with my kids. And, and I, I, I remember the process of a pearl is basically a speck of, of sand gets inside the clam and it begins to frustrate the oyster, and it begins to bother. It's uncomfortable. And out of that uncomfortable situation, we get, well, now we have a beautiful pearl, and it's valuable, and it's precious. I don't know if you may say, man, I feel like the boat that's left on the sideline on the shore, and I don't feel like I've been going through anything good in my life, and I don't feel like I'm truly chosen by God. Let me tell you, God is not finished with your life. He has chosen you, and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. Amen? And even if you've gone through some stuff, aren't you curious to know why you've gone through everything you've gone through? Maybe you don't have the answers right now, but I guarantee you one day we'll be able to look back and say, now I get it. Now I understand what I had to go through, everything I had to go through. And he who began the good work in your life, he will finish it in your life. The other day I saw uh, a show. Has anybody ever seen The Voice? It's a singing competition. And the contestant comes out on stage, and before the audience, uh, there's four chairs that are turned around. They got their back to the contestant. And the song goes on, right, this track, and all of a sudden, the, the person begins to perform, begins to sing. And depending on how good they are, the reason why the judges have their back to the performer is so that they can make their judgment solely based on their voice. That's why it's called the voice. And based on their voice, if they like the voice, they'll hit the red button and their chair will turn around and they're basically saying, choose me. I, I want you on my team. And if multiple judges turn around, now the singer gets to choose who they want to go with as their uh, judge, as their, you know, coach. And I thought about this as I was looking at it and I realized God's purpose for our life goes way before you ever come into the doors of these churches. God's purpose for our life goes way before you ever raising your hand saying, Jesus, I give you a chance. You see, some of us actually think we chose him. Like we chose to give Journey Church a chance or better yet, we chose to give Jesus this whole God thing a chance. Let me go to church. No, way before all that, Jesus chose you. You see, just like the program, The Voice, like before they even started the track, before you even hit your first note, Jesus hit his red button and said, I got to have him. And what's, what's amazing is that before, you know, I, I always saw this show and I didn't realize what the chair actually said on the bottom when it lights up. It says, I want you. Isn't that amazing? 
that Jesus wants you? Like, I know that doesn't make sense. Like, I, I've seen some of relationships where, you know, one of, the, one of the people are, like, highly attractive and the other person's kind of, like, jacked up. And I'm like, man, the dude's either, like, really funny or he has a lot of money. <laughs> like, they, they just don't go, they, they don't go well together. That, that's us and Jesus. <laughs> and, and somehow, some way, by his grace and mercy, he chose me and he chose you. And that, that's, the good, that's the good news of the gospel, that regardless of you, Jesus still wants you. Amen? And we can rejoice in that today. You didn't do anything to earn this love, and I got good news for you. You didn't do anything to lose it either. That's just grace, undeserving favor. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And Jesus is just beautiful and that the fact that he still wants you regardless of you. Amen? So, my second point is, what happens when you're the master fisherman and you still don't catch anything? You see, what happens when you're the master of your life? Because as we read, uh, when Jesus chooses his boat and, and he uses it as a platform to proclaim the gospel and, and to the people that are on the shoreline, all of a sudden, he tells Simon Peter, now, let's go a little deeper. and Let's go fishing. But uh, Simon responds and tells him, Master, but we've done this all night, and we haven't caught nothing. You see, maybe Simon Peter wasn't good at much. He wasn't good enough to be a rabbi. He wasn't good enough to be chosen by the religious folks. He wasn't good enough to represent the church. But he was good enough for Jesus to choose him. And if there was anything Simon Peter was good at, it was fishing. But what happens that even if you're experienced, even if you're wise, even if you're gifted and talented, even if you have all the capacities in the world, yet you still come up empty? When you're the master fisherman of your life and you still catch nothing. You see, there's possibly times where things come up good and they're positive. And isn't it sad that whenever we're going through positive things in our life, it's quick to forget God. And it's in those difficult moments like the Israelites in the desert, like whenever we're really struggling and whenever we're falling under slavery, then they cried out to God to come and save them. And it's like we continue to go around and around in this, in this, in this process, right? We kind of surrender to God and then we don't. We take control of our lives and then we give it up. But whenever things go good, it's possible that, you know, we can kind of take credit for it. However, those things in our life are only temporary, and in the end, they don't bring true satisfaction. And we realize this. We realize that the only thing that can truly satisfy is Jesus Christ. And many times we're masters of our own life, and it can work out for seasons. But in the end, it won't work out. And we have to surrender it to God. But there are also times that no matter what we do, we always come up empty. You could be uh, the master of your life and still come up short. I've seen in my old church, this is one guy that he would ride his bike from Houston to Austin. That's like, a, that's like going to Tampa and back. That's like two and a half hours in a car. He works out like three times a day, what it seems like. Always in shape, always eating right. And he's like, Aaron, you got to stop drinking Dr. Pepper. Aaron, you got to stop eating and healthy. I'm like, sorry, man. And guess what? He went to the doctor. I went to the doctor. Everything was fine. And my friend went to the doctor and he got diabetes. It's possible that you can manage and control your life and still come up with empty nets. I've seen people that are, you know, top of their class, super smart. They graduate from our university and they can't find a job. 
It's possible that you are the master of your life and you still come up short. I've also seen athletes. We see it all the time. I play fantasy football, so on my team I get a lot of injured people. But they, they practice, they train, they prepare themselves their whole lives. And because of one injury, their whole life is over. What happens when you're the master of your boat and you still come up short? This is why it's important to know that you've been chosen because the only thing that satisfies us in life is to know that he chose us and he has a purpose and a plan for our life. Even though Simon Peter was busy with his nets on the shoreline, imagine he had doubt, insecurities. He was sad. He was, you know, he was all messed up. He had been fishing all night and he caught nothing. This is where Jesus found him in the middle of his loss, right? In the middle of his loss, in the middle of his brokenness, washing his nets. When Jesus asked him, let's go a little bit deeper. What does it mean to go deeper? We sang the song, right? Good Father. We want to go deeper and deeper in his love. What is, what he, when God calls us to go deeper, what he's talking about, let's go intimate. I want you to get to know me. I went to the uh, Blue Springs Lagoon about an hour from here. Somebody told me you got to go visit. I went with my, my family and some of the youth from Texas that came to visit me. And, and, and they forgot to tell us that the water was kind of cold. And so you, you saw some of my youth like all decked out, right? Like, you know, because we don't got beaches like in Florida, like back at home in Texas. And, and so they came all prepared. And whenever they touched the water, they're like, oh, I'm not getting in. And so you see people that kind of dip their toe around, right? Kind of measuring it out. They're not fully giving in to the water. They, they want to take some, you know, be in control a little bit. Then you know, I had some of my other youth where, like, they were, like, flipping their chancletas or sandals up. They're flying everywhere. They're not even taking off their shirt, and they're just diving straight into that cold water. See, how do you approach Jesus Christ? Are you the type of person that only comes to church and just kind of dips their toes in the shallow end? You see, because the reason why we, we are called to go deeper, not only in intimacy with God, but, but it's a scary part. It's a, it's a scary area. Why? Because the deeper we go, the more we lose control, and the more we have to trust in God. Even yesterday, somebody asked me, Aaron, well, what made you kind of decide to leave it all behind and come to, to Orlando and, ha- and start from nothing? You know, because we had a youth ministry over there. We grew a ministry from 30 to 300 youth. Like, it's a, it's a small Hispanic church. That's, that's great, huge numbers. That's like 40% of our congregation. 10%, you're a successful youth pastor. And we, we were doing amazing things. We were living in a gated community. I, I used to drive a nice car, and now we're sharing a borrowed car. <laughs> what made you do all that? My response to, to that person that asked me was, honestly, I just felt like God was calling me to go deeper. Like, I, it got to a point where I was too comfortable with my faith. Like, I was, I was too comfortable. I was in control of my relationship with God. As a youth pastor, as a preacher, what I used to enjoy to do now became a job. And I only read scripture because I had to prepare a message. It was work for me. And it was no longer intimacy with God. And I felt that my move coming over here with my family, we decided that this is where God is going to test us to go deeper into the waters. We ultimately were called to go into the unknown to ultimately know him more in our lives. See, that's what it means to go deeper, and God is calling you to go deeper. Even whenever he went offshore to preach and use his boat, 
as a platform to preach. Even then, after that, he called them to go even deeper. You see, this is a process that continually. I thought 2002 was the last time I'd ever have to sacrifice it all. Little did I know, right? Years later, I would have to do it again. And maybe in a couple years, God will ask us to sacrifice something else. We don't know. But ultimately, it's for God to call us to go deeper. Which leads us to my next point. That when Jesus is the master of your boat, you can expect a miracle. See, when you're the master of your boat, it's possible that you'll come up with empty nets. But if Jesus is the master of your boat, you can expect a miracle. He said, Master, we toiled all night, but at your word we will let down the nets. Something happened in Simon Peter's heart where he, Jesus was just a normal person. But after his message, he, he declares and calls him master. This is a transformation that happened in his heart. But the miracle didn't come into his life until what? He let down the nets. I want to ask you, these nets can be symbolic to some of us today. What are the nets, the walls that we don't let down in our lives? You're here at church. You're, you're possibly signed up for next steps. That's awesome. We're glad you're here. But of what use is it to come here, to come to Jesus, to let Jesus choose your boat, and we still don't let down our nets? We still don't let down our guard. And Jesus is saying, if you want to see the miraculous in your life, you must let down your nets. And until he let down the nets, we saw that the miracle happened to the point where the nets were breaking. But they didn't break. Why? Because God's word is much stronger than your nets. I got a verse real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says that he brings down any argument that comes against the knowledge of God. And takes every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, what do your nets represent? Anything that comes against you knowing God more. And anything that comes against you obeying Christ to the fullest. And God is calling us to let down our nets to see the miraculous. And in case you're wondering what the miracles are. Miracles are when God's provision enters into man's impossibilities. I'm going to repeat that so you can retweet that. I'm just playing. Miracles are when God's provision enters into man's impossibility. After this scene, this is where Jesus calls his disciples. He calls Simon Peter to be one of his disciples. He declares that he will be a fisher of men. And from that point forward, he leaves and abandons his nets, his boat, and he follows Jesus for the next three to three and a half years. And we could uh, pretty much be sure that these next three and a half years were the best years of their lives, where they saw many miracles. They saw people being healed, uh, lepers, blind men. They saw demon-possessed being freed, right? They saw dead people being risen. They saw multiplication of bread and fish. These were the best years of their life. Like many of us, when we come to Jesus, it's the best, right? However, sometimes all that comes to an end. Our emotional high comes to an end. In this case, their end came when Jesus died on the cross. Even though Simon Peter said, Jesus, I'm never going to abandon you. I imagine Jesus looked at him with tender eyes, right, and said, Simon, if you only knew before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Simon Peter denied him. And this end, right, the disciples didn't know what else was going to happen. However, we know that Jesus on the third day, like J.J. mentioned, he resurrected, right? Now let's see, let's read what Jesus found his disciples doing after he comes back from the, from the grave. 
John chapter 21, verse 3 through 7 says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. Let me, let me take a break here real quick. The disciples had gone back to doing what? Fishing. The same thing that they used to do, resulting in the same old uh, results, right? Catching nothing. Isn't this the deception of the devil, right? Because insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And the devil, what he makes us think is if we only had a little bit more of this, if we only had uh, bigger, stronger nets, if we only had nicer boats, if we only could marry this person, if I could only have this job, if I could only have a bigger house, if I could only have this newer car, if only this and that. Let me tell you, the same things that didn't satisfy you before, a little bit more of that also won't satisfy you now. Only Jesus Christ can truly satisfy us. And verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. I highlight this. Why? What's the, what's the difference? If Jesus says it on his word, uh, he could have tossed it behind him and they would have caught a miraculous uh, catch, right? He says, throw it on the right side. I believe because many times when we abandon Jesus, we begin to do things wrong. And maybe you've uh, one time followed Jesus and you find yourself with empty nets with the same old results. And Jesus is telling you today, hey, it's time to throw it on the right side again. It's time to get right with God again. I once heard that you can surrender your life in one day, but it will take your lifetime to surrender your will. This is an ongoing process. Jesus took the Israelites out of Egypt, which is like a, a, a symbolism of slavery, uh, slavery to sin. And he took them out of Egypt after the 10 plagues, but it took them 40 years to take Egypt out of them. You know, because you can take the person out the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out the person. And it's an ongoing process. And maybe you're going back and forth like Simon Peter. I want to tell you a quick story about my life. After I'd given up uh, college football, I gave up a relationship of five years, I gave up my friends, partying, going out. I, I, the easiest thing I sacrificed was going to school to my mama, uh, hit my behind, and she said, boy, you better finish. And I had to go back to school and finish. But my, my life with God was growing. I was learning more about God. I, 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 had, I was a completely new person. People were asking me, what's going on? What's the, what, what happened to your life? And all I could say is, Jesus, man. And so about a year later, I made my first mistake. I took my eyes off of Jesus and started putting on everything else. So I started looking around in my youth. I started looking around the ministry, and I was like, wait, wait a minute. If I've sacrificed everything I've sacrificed, how come I'm not seeing any fruit here? Like, I, I mean, I know I'm doing it for you, God, but like, at, le at least let me see something. The youth, you know, kind of like love you more or something. I, and I, I didn't see any results of my huge sacrifice. I got a little discouraged, started missing church, started traveling with the semi-pro basketball team. I, you know, little by little, started going back to my old ways. Within a month, within a month, I found myself in a hotel room with a couple of people doing lines of cocaine, going right back to my old lifestyle. See, I didn't tell you, my father, before being a pastor, was a heroin addict in the streets of New York. 
For 11 years, he was a bum, weighed 95 pounds, hunchback. No future until Jesus found him. In that condition, Jesus saved his life, restored him. Now he's a preacher evangelist, preaching all over Latin America. My father's like, a, you know, not a huge deal, but he's a pretty big deal in Latin America. And here he is, the irony, his own son almost overdosed at the age of 17 and 19 of drugs. Ex-heroin addict, now preacher evangelist, son, imagine the irony, now dies of an overdose using drugs. So now Jesus saved me, I'm doing all right. I'm all the way up, right? <laughs> and after a year of growing, going deeper in the Lord, I go right back to who I used to be. I don't know how to explain this. I literally saw like I was snatching out of the hands of God a remote control. And I was saying, thank you. And I was putting it right back into the hands of the devil. And the moment I saw that, I kicked everybody out of the hotel room, flushed the drugs down the toilet, and I cried out to God and I repented. Jesus had to do some work in my heart. From that moment on, I said, God, I'm going to take my eyes off of everything down here, and I'm going to fix my eyes on you. Isn't that what Hebrews 12 tells us? Hebrews 12, 1, it says, fix your eyes on the author and the finisher of your faith and run this race. Take off any weight, any sin that holds you down. We must run this race. And I understand I'm not finished yet, just like you're not finished yet. But don't stay down. Don't quit. Don't retreat. Continue to go to what God has called us to do. Jesus had to restore Simon Peter's life. And if you read later on, if you continue to read this passage, this is where he asked him three times, Simon, do you love me? Just like God is asking you today, do you love me? I got a story of a little girl goes with her mom to Walmart, and she sees something she really wants. It's a pearl necklace. You know by the value of the pearl necklace, it's not real. <laughs> $6.99, pearl necklace. But the little girl doesn't care. She wants it. She loves it. And the mom, maybe she didn't have enough money or maybe she was trying to teach her daughter some responsibility, said, honey, how about this week you help me around the house and we'll come back and, we'll, and you can purchase your own pearl necklace. You know, a little sad. The, the little girl said, that's fine. That week she helped her mom around the house, prepare the food, you know, fold the clothes, uh, wash the dishes, uh, even pass the vacuum. She was helping the mom. She earned her $6.99. That following week, they went back and bought that necklace. You can imagine this girl's delight to finally have her own pearl necklace. She wore it everywhere, to school, to the park, to sleep, to take a shower. She never took it off. Her neck was already all green. She loved her pearl necklace. One day, her father, seeing how much she loved the pearl necklace, said, Honey, do you love me? The little girl, of course, I'm your princess. Of course I love you. There's no other man that I love more than you. Of course I love you. Honey, then give me your pearl necklace. The little girl, dumbfounded, she didn't understand why. And she's like, Dad, I work for this. You don't understand how much I had to do. I earned this. You know, I love you, but can I give you something else? The father was like, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Day after day, the father attempted once again, and the same old result. The little girl didn't understand. She had worked for this. She had earned it on her own. And the father kept on telling her, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, but can I just give you something else? So one day, the daughter, I guess she has a little bit of, you know, she feels a little bad, a little sorry. Now she goes to her father's bedroom and she says, dad, 
with tears in her eyes, she says, Father, I just want to let you know, this is not the most important thing to me. You are. But just to symbolize how much I love you, here's my pearl necklace. So now the father's crying, right? He kind of gets up out of his chair, goes to the closet, pulls down a bag. And out of the bag, he pulls out a brand new pearl necklace. But this time, the pearl necklace was real, valuable, expensive. He said, honey, it wasn't that I was trying to take away your pearl necklace. It's that I was trying to give you something better. So it's like Jesus saying, hey, today everybody's Simon Peter. Simon Peter, do you love me? Like, yeah, of course I love you. Don't you see that I'm here? Of course I love you. I give up every, every Sunday, you know. I, I, after that, I go to next steps. I, I, I'm here, and God is saying, do you love me? Give me your boat. Give me your life. We're like, man, you don't know how hard I worked. You don't know how much I've gone through what I've gone through. You don't know how difficult it's been. And God's like, all right, that's fine. And what we fail to realize is not that he's trying to ruin your life. Like, I know a lot of people look at us and they say, you're just wasting your time in church. Like, come and enjoy your life. Like, you got it twisted. This is real life. This is what true living is. And it's not that Jesus is trying to ruin your life. It's not that Jesus is trying to take away your life. He's trying to give you a better one. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text JOURNEYORL to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.